Hi, this is Andy Robinson, Elam Garrick on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little podcast this side of the Gamma Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Failure to tune in would not sit well with the Obsidian Order. This will show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and your independent Star Trek podcast. Welcome, everyone, to Trek Geeks. We're so happy you're here and that you've joined us for yet another episode. This is, in fact, episode number 93, and we're just as amazed as you are, quite frankly. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and joining me as he does every time this episode or every episode or whatever the heck it is. You know, if I were to describe him using episode titles of Star Trek The Next Generation Season 2, he's... The child with shades of gray and peak performance has never been on his radar even once. With him, I only wish that silence had lease. He's the very taxing Dan Davidson. Dan, welcome aboard, buddy. Insult like that are only loud as a whisper, sir. So, <laughs> right back at you. <laughs> Episode 93. Where's the time gone? Um, two years in and still going strong and... We're so thankful for everyone that uh, that finds Trek Geeks every week. We're having fun, and we hope everyone else is, too. Dan, how might people let us know about the fun times they have with this here podcast? Well, there's a whole bunch of ways, as you know, Bill, on Twitter, Facebook, and Skype, and now on Instagram. Our handle is Trek Geeks. You can also send us an email at podcast at trekgeeks.com. And you can leave us a voicemail by calling 508-784-1701 or leave us a voicemail online at speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. And as everyone knows, we do have our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer, over at facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. Uh, head right on over there, be part of the discussion, and get early access to the Trek Geeks podcast. So that's worth a click in itself, I think, right there. But uh, Bill is a very important message that goes with any of these things that we just talked about. And uh, please remember that any comments or messages you leave in any of these places maybe use in a future episode. Thank you, Dan. That was fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Dan, we also have a special guest geek this week joining us for, as Larry King would say, the full hour. The full hour. <laughs> we are very excited to welcome Rick, T Rick Tatro to the show. Uh, Rick is the host of a variety of shows over on the Simply Syndicated Podcast Network. Uh, he's a geek himself, and we are thrilled to have him on uh, as Bill and I duke it out on another episode of SIOSI. And Rick, uh, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, gentlemen. It is a matter of honor to be here, especially oh. since I've been wrestling with a contagion all day. Oh, well <laughs> he is done. He's going to fit in perfectly, isn't he? Yeah. 
Oh, that's fantastic. I wasn't even expecting that. I've created a monster. <laughs> well done. Well done. Rick. Well, Rick, we've been we've had this in uh in play for a few weeks now. We're glad the night is finally here to uh have some fun with uh see it or skip it for TNG season two. Before we get into that, uh tell us a little bit about yourself and about your uh shows that you have over on the Simply Syndicated Podcasts Network. Well, thank you very much. Uh I yeah, I've been looking forward to this uh ever since uh well, I've been giddy as a schoolgirl as they say ever since uh, y'all contacted me about contacted me about being on the show yes i'm a podcaster i can speak very well you can tell um <laughs> fit in right here great that's right <laughs> um uh, i've been a trek fan for as long as i can remember uh, uh star trek and i were born in the same year uh, pretty much uh, when the, the cage was shot in 64 and <laughs> so was i um can't remember a time when i wasn't a star trek fan i've been a podcaster for nearly a decade now uh listen to a few star trek shows and you know for the most part they're you know they're they're some are good some are bad but uh you guys are just you know my favorite second favorite star trek show <laughs> we get that a lot there, yeah. there's that that other show with ken and ray uh that uh damn it <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's, it's, it really is an honor to be here. Um, over at uh, simplysyndicated.com, uh, I have uh, kind of become something of a, a be on every show I can over there. Uh, I created a show called Starbase 66 uh, back in 2008, uh, and that ran for six years, and now I'm uh, on Simply Syndicated Movie News. Uh, I do a Stargate SG-1 uh, show review uh, called The Seven Chevron. Uh, I'm trying to get a, uh, a, an educational show about uh, how to be a good ally to the LGBTQ community called Queer Studies. Oh, what else do I do? Uh, there's a show I do every now and then called Ray Guns and Go-Go Boots, which is a review show of 60s, 70s, and 80s sci-fi. Nice. It, yeah, we have a lot of fun with that one. Although we tried to do Lost in Space. And uh, let me tell you, that show, if you have fond memories of it as a child, don't rewatch it. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't hold up. Okay. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. And, um, of course, I, you know, I was lucky enough to be a guest on one of your shows back, um, I want to say, last year sometime. Something we talked like that, about yeah. uh, the fan film guidelines. I had a great time. And we're just happy to be able to return the favor, my friend. Well, thank you. And I, I do still plan to get you guys both on onto my show, one of my shows, eventually. Uh, I've been having some internet issues, which has been throwing a monkey wrench into a lot of my plans, but we're hopefully resolving that soon. Awesome. Well, understandable, and we'll be happy to, uh, to do that any old time. But uh, for now, we're going to move on to the news. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Whoa, that sounds all serious, like Ernie Anderson serious. What a, wow, lots of bass there. Ah, well, you know, news from treknews.net. Ruck like news. It is, of course, time for the news from treknews.net from our friends at treknews.net. Online at treknews.net. And Dan, huh. first up, we have an update in the Indiegogo campaign for the <clears throat> DS9 documentary. We are very excited. Uh, 
about this news. Uh, the Indiegogo campaign is in full swing. Uh, what We Left Behind documentary, uh, directed by Adam Nimoy, and of course brought to us brought to us by Iris Stephen Bear and the whole cast and crew of Deep Space Nine. Uh, as of recording this evening, February 19th, they have already crossed the $320,000 barrier. Ooh, wow. That is just amazing. Initially, they wanted just under $150,000. They got that within uh, 23 hours, something like that. Uh, their first stretch goal has already been met, uh, well met, uh, and that first stretch goal is going to allow for better special effects in the documentary, as well as upping the length of the film from 60 to 90 minutes, so it's going to be a full-length feature now. Uh, their second stretch goal is well within sight of $350,000, and when that goal is met, there will be an original score with a live orchestra, and there will be an extended writer's room feature, which I believe they're going to be talking about what season eight would have been like had the show continued on. So really great stuff. Keep that money coming to that Indiegogo campaign, folks, because uh, we can't wait to see this documentary. I think the thing that really amazes me about this is how quickly they reached the goal. I mean, it even took for the love of Spock a little bit of time yeah. to reach that goal as universally loved as Leonard Nimoy is. Um, Rick, are you as surprised about this as we are? I am. I am both surprised and relieved because I, you know, I was one of the people that was really worried that the whole Axonar thing would really sour the waters for crowdsourcing for stuff like this. And it's great to see that that is not the case. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think that the other thing it has going in its favor is that you know, for the love of Spock, was such a resounding success, both in crowdfunding and in actually producing the end result. And you know, ever since the the documentary hit Netflix, it seems like it's taken on an even new life. So maybe mm. that helped propel it to some extent. Well, there seems to be quite the market for uh, you know what happened stories because you know the the lore of TOS and even TNG to some extent is pretty well known. Um, but DS Nine, you know, I just I just listened to the fifty year mission, mm-hmm. and the whole DS Nine segment of it. Uh, even at the time it was being made, it was totally disregarded by Paramount. That's why they could get away with uh, – was it Paramount? Yeah, Paramount. Uh, yeah. That's why they could get away with as much as they did on the show with all the serialization and just kind of really out of the Star Trek box storylines because everyone was ignoring them. And they were building up this fan base that is is very loyal, even though they're kind of, they're, they're kind of the Firefly, flan, Firefly fans of Star Trek, if you think about it that way. That that's a really great analogy, and uh, as Dan will tell you, I'm certainly no fan of Firefly. <laughs> <laughs> I can't complain. I didn't get through the first episode, so I'm right there with him. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not in that camp. I kind of like it. <laughs> hey, and that's okay. Infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Yes, indeed. As I indeed. say. I mean, I was one of the people that was kind of. I, I won't say I was against Deep Space Nine, but I was I was skeptical of it when it was announced. Uh, sure. you know, it took me a long time to get over being a Roddenberry purist. I'm, I'm something of a recovering, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I rewatched it a, f- a few years back and I loved it even more the second time through. And I'm think- really looking forward to this documentary. It'll be great to see what all happened. I think the beauty of it is how flawed and broken everything is in DS9, including Benjamin Sisko. Mm-hmm. And that kind of carries us to our next story, Dan, which is Deep Space Nine, recently re-released on DVD, and TrekNews.net has their review. Yes, they do, and the review is 
it's it's okay. Um, nothing earth shattering um, in this new re-release. Uh, of the DVD series. Uh, there is some new bonus footage that they discuss, but like I said, nothing earth-shattering. It's uh, nothing to make you want to be like, oh my god, this is great. And and since uh, there's not going to be any remastering of DS9 or any release of Blu-ray that we know of in the near or distant future, treknews.net is saying that this is the best set for anyone wanting that collection uh, in a physical form because as you know you can get it streaming now it's on a variety of different platforms uh, the uh, the presentation uh, of these this DVD set is is pretty nice um, but um, for me I've got the series uh, from a previous release I'm just gonna stick with what I got and uh, just pray that someday maybe that remaster will happen but uh, who knows yeah, I can only hope. I mean, you know, I bought the the seasons when they came out, you know, one at a time 15 years ago, whatever mm-hmm. it was. And it was expensive back then. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the whole set now is dirt cheap by comparison. And I just, I, I wish the remastering would happen simply so it looks a little less than standard or a little more than standard F. I mean, um, I just, uh, I don't know. Um, Rick, do you own Deep Space Nine or is this something you're going to consider getting if you don't? I I would love to. Uh, unfortunately, I have children, <laughs> so I kind of wow. stick with streaming. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. Uh, you know, I, I, my wife got me the, the the TOS Blu-rays for Christmas a couple of years back, and you know, I always kind of look longingly at, at uh, TNG and and the others. Uh, they're just a little pricey. Um, yes, they definitely are. I've been waiting till they hit like half dot com to buy them at a reduced rate, the Blu-rays, or even then, sometimes you find a great deal on Amazon, and that's the only way I've been able to collect the TNG Blu-rays. And then, of course, they come out with a Blu-ray set. Oh, thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it figures. You know, the way I see it is, I'm hoping based on the eventual success of Star Trek Discovery, and I say that because I do believe it will be a success since you know, they paid for most of the show with the, the international distribution rights that maybe that spurs a new interest at CBS to say, well, maybe we should remaster this other stuff. Because if the J.J. movies caused people to go back and rewatch the original series and, and other series, maybe Discovery will cause new interest in things like DS9, since it will be a little more arc-driven. You know what I mean? Very nice. Yeah, I just... I The only fly in the ointment is that all of DS9's visual effects were done on video, and right. there aren't original prints to remaster. And so that ups the, the, the Blu-ray cost by a lot because they'd have to go back and redo all the visual effects. Well, darn you and your infernal logic, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I guess we're going to do the rest of this podcast with just the two of us, Bill. See you, Rick. <laughs> wow. That's wow. I quit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I I still break out my DS9 DVDs on occasion. Um, every now and then I watch them streaming, but um, I can't tell you how many times I've watched these things. I'm amazed that they're still in one piece because I've played the heck out of them. I, I want to go off on a on a quick tangent, if I could, guys, because I'd like to get both of your opinions. Yeah. As you know, I've been talking recently about how I found Heroes and Icons as one of the channels available in my area. And every night, Sunday through Friday, they play Star Trek from 8 o'clock at night to 1 in the morning. It's, it's TOS, TNG, DS9, Voyager, and Enterprise in that order. For some reason, I am hooked on watching these on a nightly basis. I've got every single one owned on DVD. <laughs> it's available streaming. But something about watching it when it's on television pulls me in. Do you guys feel the same way? Rick, I'll let you go first. 
Um, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes if I catch something that, that uh, I particularly like uh, and it doesn't involve anthropomorphic cartoon animals. Um, <laughs> you know, especially when like a commercial comes on and I'm like, why am I sitting through these things? I have the DVD 10 feet away from me. Uh, but yeah, there's something about, I don't want to say it's a lost art cause I hate to sound like, you know, oh my, the, the, the good old days were so much better, but the, the, there, there is something lost of that communal watching of things. Mm. And, and you know, when you're watching something on broadcast that somebody else somewhere is doing exactly the same thing you are. Right. Right. Yeah. I have to agree with that. I mean, I would occasionally watch stuff on BBC America, but I would hate the way they would cut the episodes like they would cut entire chunks out of it right you know and it would drive me crazy and now i've i've just recently discovered that i actually get h and i um on my over the air antenna which i think is amazing you don't even need c- cable to get the show in some uh, in some yeah. areas and you know i i watched for a few hours while my wife was working late one night and i found myself going uh, doing the same thing you know i've i own these i've seen these countless times but here i am transfixed by the fact that they're on television. And the only thing I can think of is that it, it brings me back to when I grew up watching Star Trek in syndication, you know, uh, and the original series, because that was how I started with H&I that night. And it was awesome. You know, I get the commercial break and, you know, you get the, the build up music and then I get a chance to go refill my beer now and come back and Star <laughs> nice. Trek's back on. It's like, all right, let's settle in for the next act. Nice cover I, there. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And I think that that's really what it evokes, at least for me. And maybe maybe that's kind of what it is for you too, in some sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And of course, now with those infomercials, I've already bought a couple things, so they're making money <laughs> off me at the same time. <laughs> they were never in any danger of not making money off of any of them. Gentlemen, we are back for yet another episode of See It or Skip It. And, woohoo! And this time we're going to take on Season 2 of Star Trek The Next Generation. Perhaps the much maligned Season 2 of Next Gen. And I think by the time we're going to finish tonight, we will discover whether or not that reputation is true or not, at least from our perspective. So, Rick, you're going to be our referee tonight. Okay. You'll keep us from killing each other. And <laughs> <laughs> you get to choose who goes first or whatever. You can chime in wherever and whenever you want. You can even tell us whether you would see or skip a particular episode. But um, generally the rule is Rick will read the description or the episode title in the description. And Dan and I will decide why we think it's a see it or skip it. And then when we're done, we'll sort of break down the, the totals and the percentages. Sound good, everyone? Sounds great. You know, That's why I, you're a great executive producer, Bill. Uh, <laughs> when I find that executive producer, I'm going to congratulate him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am a teacher, and I have my dreaded red pen nice. ready to go. Wow. <laughs> I love it. Gold stars? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, mm. at this point, I'll even take a blue star. There uh, you go. That's fine. <laughs> I, I never got the gold star as a kid. It was like, oh, we only got blue left. Here you go. <laughs> so... All right, so we'll get started. Rick, you can feel free to kick in any time. And um, Dan, good luck, sir. And and to you, mon frere. <laughs> may, may the odds be ever in your favor. <laughs> okay, episode number one, The Child. Dr. Catherine Pulaski joins the Enterprise while Geordi prepares the Enterprise to transport dangerous plague specimens. 
Troy, played by Marina Sirtis, spontaneously becomes pregnant and gives birth to a mysterious child. Dan Davidson, you go first. Yeah, this is not the way to open a season. It's a great way to open this segment because you got some great tones there, man. But uh, (laughs) this is a weak story for me. I'm not a huge Pulaski fan, although I do like Muldar. Muldar? Muldar? Mm -hmm. Muldar. Muldar. But part of the reason that I'm not a Pulaski fan, she just rubs me the wrong way. And she rubs me the wrong way right from the start in this episode when she first comes on board. I don't like the story of, of Troy and this becoming pregnant and and giving birth yeah it's a definite uh skip it for this first uh, episode of season two wow well um i, I kind of have to say i agree with you on this one um not only is it an uneven start to the season but it's obviously a recycled script i mean that was the legend of it for a long time it's it's uneven you know they, they made will and deanna sort of have this weird conflict between them which i don't think works very well it's totally not believable and honestly i i the whole kid thing bothers me um it just it the the opportunity for data to learn from this experience feels very forced uh, i i think that this script could have probably survived several more rewrites and maybe been a little more workable but other than that i have to say it's a definite skip it What's the kid's name? Wyatt. Ian. See, oh, Ian. see, I don't even remember the kid's name, so that's how much of a of a, of a disappointment this episode was for me. I think he was named after Deanna's father. Okay. I think you're right, yes. Uh, putting the, the geek in Trek geek tonight, boys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got I've to disagree with you all, although very, very reluctantly, um, only because this this episode establishes who Pulaski is and why she's on the Enterprise. Um, other than that, the entire rest of the show is is completely disposable, if not loathsome. Um, <laughs> but I think the 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 establishment of Pulaski, even though it's like it's like what one line or two lines. Yeah. Where's Doctor Crusher? She's at Starfleet Medical. Um, I think if you, because they never address it again. Uh, I think it's kind of important to someone coming in from out of, you know, especially if you're watching it in order from having come out of season one and suddenly Gates McFadden is gone. Um, so I, I need to give it a very reluctant see it. Hmm. All right. I can live with that. I mean, yeah, the Pulaski angle is important. Um, and, and I suppose they could have done that some other way. But, yeah, you're right. I just this episode really is just a dog to me, though, you know? Mm hmm. <laughs> thank, thank you for that insightful commentary dan <laughs> that's what i'm here for all right episode number two where silence has lease the enterprise becomes trapped in a spatial phenomenon where they are subjected to unusual experiments by the whim of a being unlike any they have encountered before mr bill you go first thank you i um now, this is an episode I don't mind. You know, it's got a bit of a, a an original series feel to me with the whole godlike creature in control of the ship and the crew. You know, I, I could do without the whole one Riker, one bridge, or one bridge, one Riker, whatever it is that Worf goes through. But overall, I think the episode is largely okay. It's not stellar, but I think that it just it's just barely in the see it column for me. So I'm going to call it a see it. 
Okay. So we've had, both of us have had Skip It for episode one. You've got to barely see it for episode two, and I've got to barely see it for episode two as well. Um, I gave it a see it basically because I had actually forgotten that this was the Nagilam episode, and I always kind of thought he was cool back when I was watching it when I was younger, uh, with the whole partial face where just his eyes and then his mouth uh, on screen. It's a campy episode, which gives it a little bit more of a see it aspect for me. Uh, definitely not an awesome episode, but likable. So I, I gave it a reluctant see it yeah i i agree there i i give it a see it just because there's no reason not to it's it's not bad enough to not see so eh, why not um <laughs> i i do like the effect of Riker and Worf going through the bridge you know kind of the the eternal bridge thing i thought that was kind of cool <laughs> one Riker, one bridge. <laughs> it's like he's going to tear the walls down like Okay, episode number three, Elementary Dear Data. After Data easily solves an ordinary Sherlock Holmes holodeck mystery, LaForge asks the computer to make Holmes a villain capable of defeating him. The resultant Professor Moriarty soon becomes far more powerful than expected. Mr. Dan. Uh, I like this episode. I've always liked it. Um, sometimes holodeck episodes can get a little bit out of hand, but this is one I thought was pretty good. Um, this is one that starts to really show the friendship between Data and Geordi, Uh and it makes it enjoyable for me. Uh, so I gave it a see it. Now, if Moriarty had just killed Pulaski and been done with it, it would have been a definite see it, but since that didn't <laughs> have it, I'll just give it a see it. <laughs> wow, now that took a turn. <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> I, um, you know, this is not a favorite episode of mine. Uh, to me, it's it's painful, but begrudgingly, I have to call it a see it. Um, even though I think it's pretty cringeworthy, it still sets up things for later on in, in later seasons, and I think it it, it illustrates a, a great level of of Jordy and Data's friendship. And it, it adds some depth to Pulaski, too. So as much as I, I think the whole holodeck thing just bothers me because it's essentially a holodeck gone wrong, epi- wrong episode on some level, I, um, I, I do think it's a see it. I, I do think that, that people should actually sit down and watch this one. Yeah, I, I wholly, heartily agree with you on, on all of that. Um, I, I, you know, it's no fistful of datas, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, you know, generally holodeck episodes leave me cold as well. But this was, this was good, and yeah, it, it sets up. Moriarty is just awesome. Uh, I forget the actor's name, but he's he's incredible. Yeah, that's what I was just going to actually say, Rick. Daniel Davis plays Moriarty, and he does a great job in this. And in season seven, I think, when he shows up again. I don't want to mm-hmm. give away any spoilers, but uh, yeah, Davis does a great job as Moriarty in the in, oh. the, in TNG. He shows up again? Sorry. God damn. God. <laughs> you know, I just want to point out at this juncture, we're three episodes in, and so far the guest geek is three for three. <laughs> and we're each two for three. I mean, that's at some point he's got a whiff on one, Dan. Yeah, well, it's uh, probably well, the next one. How <laughs> <laughs> right you are. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll I'll say I was surprised at how many episodes I graded as a C on this one. I was expecting uh, a lot different an outcome. Interesting. But, uh, number four, the outrageous Okona. The Enterprise is caught up in the schemes of a flamboyant space rogue on the run, while Data explores humor with the help of a holodeck comedian, Bill. Wow, I almost, uh, I almost wish I didn't have to answer this one at all, because this episode is, is terrible. It's just, it is absolutely terrible. There's nothing redeeming about it. Um, 
Billy Campbell is is wasted in this episode. He's he's a, he's a decent actor, but this character they've given him is is horrible. Um, the conflict between the the two families, let's just call them the Montagues and the Capulets right now, um, is totally uninteresting. And uh, the data learning to tell jokes is probably some of the worst moments in Star Trek, which I realize will cause some people to send me vicious hate mail. And that's fine, but um, I, I, there's no way in the world anybody should watch this episode if you're not forced to. <laughs> <laughs> so you're giving it a... Uh, that would be a definite skip it. <laughs> skip it. Yes, well, uh, we are definitely in agreement. I think that this is probably, if not definitely, the worst episode of season two, and maybe one of the worst episodes in, in Star Trek, uh, I think. There's nothing positive to say about this episode at all. I think Okona is a moron in this episode. I don't like him at all. I don't like the storyline. I think Piscopo is a complete waste of time and is a joke, no pun intended. Um, the only thing that even is remotely barely humorous in this episode at all is when Data's trying to impersonate Jerry Lewis by way of Piscopo's trying to impersonate Jerry Lewis. And even that's not really that good. So it's this is really one that if you're a Star Trek, if you are new to Star Trek, you never have to see this episode and it won't matter. <laughs> yeah, it really doesn't. <laughs> it's, oh, it's the Jerry Lewis thing. I f- totally forgot about that. as ah. I was. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like Dan when I talk to him normally. It just drives me up a wall. <laughs> Uh, I, I can't add anything to what y'all have said. This is just a, a, a total waste of celluloid videotape bits on a DVD, whatever. It's just take a Sharpie and run that line out of your DVDs. Uh, I'm going to do that right now. Great <laughs> idea. <laughs> okay, number five, loud as a whisper. The crew plays host to deaf... Uh, sorry, let me try that again. The crew plays host to a deaf telepathic ambassador who mediates difficult peace negotiations with the assistance of his trio of telepathic interpreters. Daniel. Yeah, I, uh, I've never liked this episode. Uh, it doesn't work for me. It, it's just it's it's not one that I, I really appreciate. I'm going to give it a skip. It. Uh, the only thing that I kind of like in this episode is the special effects when his chorus is killed is kind of cool because you see that whole breakdown of skin to skeleton to nothingness. Um, and I thought that was kind of neat for television at the time that it first aired. But other than that, there's nothing that I really find worth mentioning for this episode. So I gave it a skip it. Interesting. Mm. I have to say that um, I actually kind of like this episode and the challenge it gives Riva. Um, I, he has something to overcome and it's not deafness. You know, it's it's his own confidence and his ability to to not have to rely on that chorus, even though I really did like the idea of that chorus. Plus it gives Troy something more to do than say, I think he's being deceptive captain (laughs) or he's very emotional. (laughs) I think it gives Troy's character a little bit of meat in that she's probably the person who is best qualified to deal with the situation. So for me, I think it's at least a, an entertaining hour and I'd have to call this one for me. I see it. Our first disagreement. I know it's tough to be wrong. Isn't it bill? Uh, you you would know. <laughs> what about you, Rick? Uh, I, I'm a, I'm afraid you're the wrong one, sir. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I like this episode a lot uh, as as much as as one can like the second season. Um, I I think it's a great science fiction concept. I love it for its originality. Um, 
I like that it didn't become too after school special once Riva had to face, uh, you know, his difficulty. Uh, you know, it, it, that they could have done that much earlier in the episode and just dragged the whole whining thing out. Um, but they didn't. Um, I, I'm, it's kind of the first time that Deanna hits on every ambassador or diplomat that comes on board the ship. So it's okay still. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I give it a see it. Whatever. <laughs> Rick, we're, we're going to keep you on for at least a few more, uh, more TNG season two episodes here. Cause you're making me look good with comments like that. my friend. <laughs> All right. Number six, the schizoid man. <clears throat> Scientist Dr. Ira Graves cheats death by uploading his memories and personality into Lieutenant Commander Data. Bill. To know this episode <laughs> is to hate this episode. <laughs> and to hate this episode is to know this episode. I can't stand this episode in any way, shape, manner, or form, especially the funeral scene. To me, it is painful and putrid, and it seemed like a great idea to let Data hold the consciousness of a human being, but I thought the character was just written horrifically. I mean, Morgan Shepard does a great job, but I um, I hate this episode. Wow. Uh, skip it. Skip it. Skip it. All right. Another disagreement, but mine's barely see it. I did give it a see it, but for different reasons than you might think. The story in this isn't great, and I agree with you what you said, Bill, in regards to how the funeral scene goes and stuff, but this is the Salar episode in The Next Generation, and I have always loved Dr. Salar and what Susie Plaxon's performance was for this character, and I always wished that there had been more of her in the series. Um, and Morgan Shepard as Graves, I thought was great. He had some fantastic one-liners, uh, and he was the warden at Ruripente in Star Trek VI, so I have to give it a seat. <laughs> well, he's also in Star Trek 2009 as the leader of the Vulcan That's Science right. Council. Absolutely, yep. You know, but uh, to me, those are far better than this piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was on the fence about this one, and I was hoping you guys would help me make up my mind. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. It really does. Um, I, I, you know what? Uh, Tread Dan, lightly, I, Commander. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go with you, sir, um, because I, I, I am loath to drop names, except in this one instance. Susie Plaxon is a friend, and I forgot mm -hmm. she was in this episode. And so, to assuage my guilt. <laughs> I'll tell you what, her performance is a lot, the way that she looks as a Vulcan, especially, you know, when she's standing there with her arms behind her back and she does the eyebrow arch, that is pure Vulcan perfection to me. I love the way that she did this character. <laughs> I, I love Susie. I don't love this episode. It's not her fault. No. No, it's True. not. You, you, you want to hear a, a cute, quick story about her playing Salar? Yeah, she and her brother, when they were growing up, loved watching, uh, loved Vulcans. They didn't. Uh, she she wasn't a Star Trek fan, but he was. And when she got the part, she called up her brother, and they both like had a freak out moment on the phone. And then she snuck him onto the set to see to see her in her makeup and stuff. <laughs> uh, what talk about a true geek moment? Yeah. That must have been in, in heaven. That must have been awesome. <laughs> okay, unnatural selection. The Enterprise receives a distress call from the USS Landtree, discovering its crew has apparently died of old age. 
The race is on to solve the mystery before scientists on a research colony suffer the same fate. Dan. Well, uh, I'll start off by saying I gave this a skip it. Um, one of the reasons is because um, the transporter can remove a virus. Isn't that part of their normal functionality anyway? So that was kind of a little unbelievable to me. And to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of tired of genetically engineered people episodes. It seems to happen all too often. Um, plus, Pulaski's old person makeup in this episode is possibly worse than Admiral Jameson's in Star Trek season, uh, <laughs> next TNG season one, too short a season, which has been uh, quoted by, I believe, uh, was it Westmore himself who said it was some of the worst makeup he'd ever seen? I forget if it was him or somebody else. Wow. Not yeah. to put too fine a point on it. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I have to say, personally, I don't mind this episode necessarily, but it's hardly memorable. I said skip it, um, mainly because it seems like you know, they were coming up with a list of things they wanted to do in season two. It's like, oh, well, we have to have an old person episode where somebody gets old, kind of like they did on the original Star Trek. And that's what this episode became. Personally, I'd like to encase this episode in Styrolite along with Dan and fire them both off into space. Whoa, so, <laughs> definite skip it. Wow. <laughs> Other than that, I have no strong feelings on the matter. Uh, I skip it as well. Um, one of the original things that Roddenberry had said was that the transporter wasn't going to be used like this. And then th they broke that rule all over the place. And, mm -hmm. you know, it just like Star Trek into darkness, where suddenly the transporter is this magical beaming machine that can send you across the galaxy. It, it just, if you can do this with a transporter, why does anybody get old? Why does anybody get sick? Right. So yep. It just, yeah. Crap. <laughs> Oof. A matter of honor. Riker is assigned to a Klingon vessel via an officer exchange program between the Federation and the Klingon Empire. Bill, you love Klingon episodes so much, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I really do. But I do have to say, I love the juxtaposition in this episode. You know, Riker's experience on the Klingon ship is fantastic. I love the way that this part of the episode is written. The thing I could live without is the whole Benzite officer who looks like Mordon or Mendon or whoever the heck he is. <laughs> Same actor, same makeup, different name. I could do without that because it wasn't really necessary. It seems like it just was there to give Wesley something to do. So overall, this episode for me is a see it. Um, I think it is crucial for what it sets up later on down the road, especially with um, Klingons. Okay, way to spoil it. But <laughs> yeah, okay. Did I say that out loud? Yeah, you did, actually. <laughs> oh, wow. Sorry. What about you, Dan? Yeah, well, I gave it a see it as well. I do love the idea of Riker on the Klingon ship. Um, I kind of would like to know why Klingon ships always have to be so dark and foggy, though. Um, <laughs> I always think that's kind of interesting. I will say that Clagg, the first officer, he is awesome. I always have liked the character and would like to have seen him more in the series or maybe even on DS9. Um, he is a central character in several Klingon novels that have been written over the years. Um, so I'm glad that they kept the character that way, but definitely a see it for me. I love this episode. I love that name, Clag. Clag. <laughs> uh, I agree also. Uh, I am a fan of what they did with the Klingons uh, in TNG for the most part. Um, and this episode was, was awesome. I especially love the way Riker leaves the ship at the end. Uh, yeah. Where he lets the captain kick his butt and uh, honor is preserved. 
No doubt. Great ending to that episode for sure. Yeah, this this also gives this this gives so much depth to Riker too. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it it established him as something more than, you know, this sort of, you know, wound up tight, you know, first officer that loves to throw his leg over a chair to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the biggie. Number nine, the measure of a man. After Lieutenant Commander Data refuses an order from Starfleet to be dismantled for research purposes, a hearing is convened to determine if he is a legal citizen or property of the Federation. Mr. Dan. Skip it. This episode sucks. (laughs) 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 No, uh, I don't think anybody can disagree that this is anything more than the highest version of see it. This is one of the few episodes in the entire Star Trek universe that is a must see. You have to see this episode. Uh, The entire premise and the story is just so important. And I think it's easily the best episode of this season and one of the best of all time. Um, Maddox is a great character. The whole Picard, Captain Louveau dynamic reminds me a lot of the Kirk, Lieutenant Shaw dynamic in Court Martial in the original series. Uh, is fantastically done by everyone involved and definitely a see it. I have to agree 100%. This is one of the best scripts that Melinda Snodgrass ever turned in. Um, it is the best of season two and is perhaps one of the best overall of TNG. I got the chance to see it on the big screen when they were doing those Fathom events for the uh, the Blu-ray releases. And they added extra footage to it, which was phenomenal. Mm. And I think most of that is on the, the Blu-ray, if I'm not mistaken. And it was, it was amazing. It was just as compelling as it was when it came out <coughs> in season two live. So uh, absolute see it, hands down. Yep, got to agree. It's one of the best episodes of Trek ever. Uh, it it encompasses so much of the fundamentals of what Star Trek is and what it represents, uh, the, the kind of, of really heavy concepts, but handled in an entertaining and, and not really preachy way. Uh, just there's, mm-hmm. there's nothing bad to say about this episode. Without Great. a doubt. Yep. However... <laughs> <laughs> Wow, you're a master of the segue tonight, man. (laughs) (laughs) Number 10, the Dauphin. The Enterprise hosts the young leader of Daled 4, and Wesley finds himself falling in love with her. Bill. This episode is just, it's hard to take, man. (laughs) I have zero interest in Wesley wanting to ask a girl out, and I have even less interest in that and the fact she's not really a girl, per se. Um. It's it's painful. It's Wesley Trek in a bottle. It's it's it, everything that I hated about season one brought to you in season two. Um, skip it without a doubt. Wesley Trek in a bottle, baby. <laughs> I'm gonna have to, now that's going to be in my head all day. I see a Peter Griffin song coming with that. But anyway. You're welcome. You're yes, welcome. Uh, definitely a skip it as well. Um, it's a Wesley episode. It's not a great Wesley episode. Um, the stop animation effects when the two women transform into the aliens is very, very weak, in my opinion. And I understand that it's in the late 80s or whatnot. But uh, uh, Anya is quite funny wanting to kill that crew member because he came back from a mission with a disease. I thought that was kind of funny. But other than that, she's just really creepy uh, and definitely a skip it for me. I just want to say that the Bigfoot costume in the Zabruder film is better than the two outfits <laughs> that they transformed into. Dan was in both of those, believe it or not. 
yeah, skip this one too. <laughs> a good call. I, I'm right on board with you. <laughs> Episode 11, Contagion. A dangerous alien computer virus runs rampant through the Enterprise after causing the destruction of her sister ship, the USS Yamato. Dan. Well, before I give my answer, I have to preface it by saying that unfortunately my answer uh, deals with the fact that it's going to be a spoiler for something that takes place in the future, which I seem to be very good at, so I apologize up front. Uh, uh. Sorry. I gave this a see it, actually. It's not an awesome episode for me. Um, I gave it a see it mostly for the fact that the Iconian Gateway comes back in Deep Space Nine uh, in an episode, which is one of my favorite Deep Space Nine episodes. So since I tie together, I had to give it a see it. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I was thinking of that, too, as I was watching this episode recently, and then I started thinking about things like, you know, fan films and uh, and Tommy Craft's, um, God, the name is escaping right now, right now. Um, his uh, Enterprise-era fan film, and um, I just, I like it. You know, it's not, like you said, not a fantastic episode, but poor, poor Yamato. Oh, I like the Yamato. <laughs> I like the Captain. It's kind of weird to see a galaxy class ship you know bite the dust, especially since we watch a galaxy class ship every week. But uh, I think this episode is really interesting, and uh, it's an interesting problem for the crew to solve. So it's definite see it. You got to think um, when the Yamato gets destroyed. Usually, when a galaxy class uh, ship gets destroyed, Deanna's at the helm. So was she over there? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, uh, she. Her track record's not so good with starships. <laughs> Uh, I just this episode always makes me think of of uh, uh, a, a scruffy Englishman on the phone saying, "Have you tried turning your starship off and then on again?" <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> I, I have nothing against this episode, so I'll, I'll give it a see it. Ah, uh, wow! <laughs> hmm. You are actually you're doing really well with the see it. You're far ahead of us by now. I, so. I, I yeah, I'm I. What can I say? I like Star Trek. <laughs> if just the season one, I think it would be a different tally. But uh, Interesting. Interesting. Bad Episode- answer. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 12, The Royale. Riker, Worf, and Data investigate a structure on the surface of an icy gas giant, which appears to be a hotel from 20th century Earth. Bill. When I watch this episode... I wish I were the astronaut guy. <laughs> Just put me out of my misery. This episode is is painful. Uh, it "ug" was the first word I wrote in in thinking about this episode. It um, it, it seems like a, another idea where they could have possibly tried to use it in the original series, but it is it is putrid. And uh, skip this, please. I'm begging you, skip it. <laughs> You think it's the worst of the of worse than Okona? Okona? Whatever the hell's name is? For me, yeah. I think really? it is. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, I definitely gave it a skip it as well. I don't think it's the worst episode of the season, but it's definitely the second. Um, it's an awful episode. Uh to me, this episode reminds me of some of the season three TOS episodes where they were just out of money, so they had a cheap ass set. And the cheap ass set here was that revolving door with nothing else around it. I just I don't like it. I didn't like the story. And I have to agree, the astronaut guy had a better fate than people that have to sit there and watch it. <laughs> uh, that lucky bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one's it, it, y'all are being nicer to it than I would. Be. I just think it's stupid. <laughs> uh, wow stupid Star Trek stupid, stupid Star Trek <laughs> <laughs> that, 
<laughs> this episode, not a gem by any means, that's for sure. Yeah. You know what the interesting thing to me is, is that there was a writer strike that occurred this season, and this was one of the episodes that actually was not the result of the writer's strike. I just want to throw that out there. Wow. <laughs> wow. You know, this would have worked on like Buck Rogers or Battlestar Galactica or something, but for Star Trek, it's just, it's just not, not <laughs> up to the, the, the right level. I totally agree. Episode 13, Time Squared. Captain Picard encounters his future self when the Enterprise becomes caught in a time loop. Mr. Davidson. Well, a moment ago, I heard you heard you may have heard me say "bad answer" when you said something about if it took place in a different season. Um, I give this episode a skip it, and the reason I do is I'm not a fan of this episode. It's not awful, but I can't give something a see it rating simply because it's in a bad season. It's a bad episode, so it's a bad episode. Pretty straightforward. So it's a skip it for me. I didn't care for it at all. Wow, that's actually kind of surprising to me because I actually kind of like this episode. I think it's far better than some of the other season two episodes on its own. And I think if this were a season three episode, I don't think it would be nearly as good. I think that this script is elevated by the fact a little bit that it's in a bad season, but I think it's a, a solid story. I um, I like the problem it poses for Picard and the sort of doubt it fills him with. And ultimately, I think it's interesting enough to to follow through. So for me, it's a see it, actually. Very interesting. And once again, y'all are of no help because I was on the fence on this one. <laughs> <laughs> we, we aim to please. <laughs> uh, I think, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go just to the side of see it because it's not bad enough to skip. I, I think it sets up a, a very interesting premise and fails to deliver uh, on that premise. But it's still kind of an interesting – it certainly doesn't bear multiple watchings. It's not a show that holds up to a rewatch, but – I think for one time through, sure, why not? Are you done? The thing that the thing that gets me, I maybe I, maybe I overstated how bad an episode I think it is. The thing that really gets to me though is the idea that it might be a see it in a, another episode. If it's a <laughs> and everything like that, I just don't understand how it would be better in one episode versus an, or one season versus another season. So I had to give it, that's why I had to give it a skip it. Yeah. But I'm not saying that it's, it's better because it's in season two. I'm just saying that I don't think it would be perceived nearly as good simply because the writing level in season three is so much better. I think that this episode on its own is, is fine. Um, but I, I don't think that, you know, the fact that it's in season two makes it better. I just think that if it were season three, given the level of the stories, it would be perceived as not as good. Gotcha. So shut your face. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number 14, the Icarus Factor. Riker's estranged father, Kyle, visits to brief him on the new ship he's been offered, and Worf's friends discover he's about to miss an important Klingon rite of passage. Again, let's start off the Klingon bashing with Bill. Ah, uh, I love it. But, you know, for once, my comments have nothing to do with Klingons. <laughs> um, I got to tell you, I couldn't care less about Riker's a-hole of an old man I, or the fact that he used to bone Pulaski or the grudge <laughs> that Will has against him. Um, plus, when you throw in Anbojitsu, we all lose. We all lose. So this episode... It, this episode is a turkey. Um, uh, skip this thing. I, I beg you. Just don't even bother. That may be the best quote of the night right there. 
Hashtag Bone Pulaski. <laughs> Let's hope it doesn't come to that. Yes. Um, I also did give it a, uh, a skip it, Rick. Um, when the only thing that could save an episode is John Tesh in Klingon makeup hitting forth <laughs> with his giant paint stick. Uh, then you know that the episode is going to fail on a lot of levels. Um, the Riker family squabble is annoying to me, although I did like seeing Mitchell Ryan as Daddy Riker because it brought me back to Lethal Weapon 1 memories, so I thought that oh, was kind of cool. Uh, but really, Kyle, um, Pulaski? Really? That's the best you could do, buddy? Yeah, skip it. Hey, Moldauer was hot when she was young. <laughs> So that's a hundred. I grant that one hundred times out of a hundred. Not Pulaski. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I agree. Uh, as much as I enjoy watching Worf suffer, because uh, I am not a fan of the character. Uh, the, yeah, this there's, there, there's really not enough in this episode to redeem it. Uh, give it a skip. I knew you were a man of exceptional taste, Rick. <laughs> Okay, number 15, Pen Pals. The Prime Directive is threatened when Data befriends the child of a pre-warp planet that is suffering from devastating volcanic activity. Dan. Yeah, I'm not a fan of this episode either. I gave it a skip it. Uh, I don't like the story. I don't like the blatant Prime Directive violation, and being done by an android even exacerbates that to me. Uh, I don't like the makeup on Sarjanka, although I didn't know until years later that it was Nikki Cox, who was uh, who's a, an actress in shows like Vegas, I think was where she was very popular. Um, so I don't like the makeup on Sarjanka. I don't like the violation. I don't like Bill. So there's really not anything for me to like about Pen Pals. Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't know why you had to drag me through this, because I had nothing to do with it. Oh. So says um, you. Wow. You know, my fundamental problem with this episode is that Data violates Starfleet protocol and the Prime Directive all in one fell swoop, and he's he's the the third in command of this vessel. He's the operations manager of the flagship of the Federation, and if anybody should know better, it would be Data because it's a one or a zero thing. Why he kept it from Picard and the other officers, I'll never know. Why he engaged in this, I will never know. It's a horrible premise with a very weak script. Uh, the effects are okay in part, but all in all, I have to say this episode is 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 a skip it. I just I I can't like it in any way. Yeah, I I was worried when I rewatched this episode uh, a couple of years back because uh, when when I became a parent, uh, you know, I I have a five year old daughter, uh, and I'm in my early fifties, so I, I became a parent very late in life, and it's kind of changed my outlook on a lot of things. And I was really worried that this episode would hit me in that area of my, of my, you know, oh, that poor girl. And all it did was piss me off. Sorry, I know you guys don't talk like that. Uh, <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> uh, I, I swear like a sailor on my show, so I apologize. Bone um, Pulaski. <laughs> <laughs> um, all it did was make me rage quit when Data finally goes in to save Sarjanka. And she, her parents left her in her room alone as the planet is blowing up. Hmm. Uh, so Good point. Yeah. It sounds like a star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean there, it had the potential. It came so close to being a good episode, but yeah, skip it. I like where your head's at, mister. <laughs> 
Okay, here we go for our obligatory Q episode, episode 16, Q Who. Q flings the Enterprise 7,000 light years beyond Federation space and introduces them to the deadly Borg. Mr. Bill. Thank you, sir. I have to say, this episode is, is fantastic and it's a harbinger of things to come. I could do without the Guinan slash Q scene. As much as people like it, I just it's a thread they never truly come back to. And that kind of bothers me. So it makes me wonder why why introduce it and why leave so much mystery about it. But um this episode is tense. It, you know, gives Picard, as Q says, the kick in the compl- uh, the kick in his complacency that he needed. Um I, I love this episode. It's a definite see it. Yes, it is a definite see it for me. Uh, after measure of man, after measure of a man, I should say, this is the best episode of the season. I think um, this is the beginnings of the Borg for real. Now, I say that because the story of them technically started in season one's the neutral zone, but it was never really stated per se. Um, but to have this happen, to have them introduced the way they were at the time, they were something that was very scary on Star Trek and on television. Uh, definite, definite see it. It is, I mean, it sets up so many things for Star Trek for the next 20 years. So, um, and then Voyager destroys it all, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely a see it for me as well. Um, everything y'all said, I, I kind of like the Guinan Q, although what the hell Guinan was doing with the claws. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but I, I, I like when it comes back again the next time we see Q. Um, is that the next time? When anyway. he's human? The, the, yeah. 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 Um, you know, her, her just, the, the, this is a setup for that. And so I don't mind it so much. Fair enough. Nice. <clears throat> 17. <laughs> Samaritan Snare. A group of seemingly dim-witted aliens, the Packleds, kidnap Lieutenant LaForge to make their ship go. Dan, you are smart. You go first. Thank you. Wow. Well, uh, I'd have to give this one a skip it. Uh, watching this episode... It just reminds me far too much of the working relationship I have with Bill on this here podcast. <laughs> so, you know, he is smart. He makes things go. Um, so as such, I, I can't really, you know, I can't in a right mind, give it a see it because it just would drive me crazy. Cause he drives me crazy. So no, seriously, the idea of the pack leads is, is a really weak idea. Uh, I think it may be worse than the idea of the Ferengi when they first were written in in season one of TNG. I think that they were a uh, a complete joke of a race and I'm glad that we really don't have to deal with them ever again. Barely. So skip it. Great. Thank you, Dan, for that <laughs> comment. Oh, I'm sure you got something. <laughs> um, this one is just barely a skip it for me, and it really could have gone either way. I think there's something entertaining about this episode, and certainly in how Jordy is annoyed. That's pretty entertaining. But I think it's because the Packlids are so stupid, like Dan. So there you go. this episode <laughs> me is, is a skip it. I, um, eh. Yeah, eh, meh. That's all I can say is meh. Yeah, I got one per. Every time we do a see it or skip it, it seems like there's one, and that's it. Mm. Meh. The only reason I'm going to give this one a see it, I knew it, (laughs) (laughs) is because the pack lids have become such an in joke amongst Trek fans that 
if you're watching Trek and you don't see this episode and then people start talking about you are smart, you make things go, <laughs> you're not going to know what the joke is. Oh my God, you're such an apologist. <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid. But there, there's also one other thing that this and this this isn't really a spoiler because if you don't, it, it's something you have to notice because I I didn't notice it at first when they find lore. Uh, it later on packlet outfit. He's, he's wearing a packlet outfit. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. No. Spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, for some unknown episode. In the- <laughs> <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> All right, this is, a, okay, number 18, Up the Long Ladder. Captain Picard must find a way to rescue two radically incompatible cultures, one a primitive Irish farming colony threatened by solar flares, and the other a colony of clones facing inevitable genetic degeneration. Mr. Smith. You know, in season one, if you recall, we had a, a horribly racist episode called Code of Honor. <laughs> it is reviled by Star Trek fans, uh, you know, even the, the actors in the episode said it, it, essentially it was a racist piece of crap to paraphrase. This episode is equally as racist. Unfortunately, it's toward the Irish. <laughs> it seems like every time there needs to be an Irish person, they need to be sheep farmers who don't have shoes. And I don't quite understand this. Um, I, this episode is terrible. Um, it's nice to see James Cromwell. I'm not going to lie. But. Um, Oh, wait, that's a different episode. Sorry. Um, confusing my stuff. But this episode is, is one that easily could be skipped and should be. And uh, I don't know that Riker knows a thing about washing feet. I'm just going to throw <laughs> that out there. Oh. You're okay. welcome. Well, I'm going to have to give this one a skip it as well. This episode <laughs> should be flushed down the toilet like the piece of crap that it is. Mariposans and Bring Lloydy, indeed. Okay, that's all I got. It's awful. <laughs> that's, it. that's it. It's a bad episode. The whole feet washing thing. Now I can't even go back on anything. So it's because of this episode I learned mariposa means butterfly. So I mean that's good. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs> yeah. It, it. I mean, I, I, I am have. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just the the fact that Riker has to be told that he's being hit on. <laughs> uh, right. You think Riker, of all people, would know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, not that, I mean, you know, I, I, foot washing is a, is a wonderful thing. <laughs> but, yeah. <clears throat> Skip it for me, too. Rex Ryan likes this episode. <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> Okay, 19, Manhunt. Troy's mother, Luexana, Major Barrett, is in the market for a new husband, and she has set her sights on Captain Picard. Dan. Uh, I might surprise some people that I actually gave this one a see-it. I say that because I'm on record as saying I'm not a huge Luxana Troy fan. I've never really been. A lot of her episodes uh, throughout the different series that she's been on don't really rub me the right way. But for this episode, the uncomfortable chemistry between Majel and Patrick is very fun to watch. So for that reason, I give it a see it. I'm, I am actually really surprised by that, Dan. Mm, I, I, like I said, I thought you would be. Genuinely. Yeah, um, yeah so... Not too long ago, this past summer, I, I wasn't working. I was in between jobs, and 
I was having myself a little TNG marathon, and I, I put on this episode one day, and I sat there going, have I, have I ever seen this before? And I, it was not memorable to me in any, in any way. Now, I, I have seen it before. I mean, I watched it first run, but it, it left that little of a mark on me. Um, really, nothing interesting happens, uh, in my opinion, in this episode. I'm just, I'm not a fan of this particular script as much as I like Waxana. So um, uh, I'm going to say skip it. I would have given this a see it. Uh, you know, it's, it's got Mick Fleetwood in it. Not that you could tell because he's got a fish head on his head. But uh, <laughs> um, if not, and, and I do like Loaxana. Uh, you know, she, at first you don't like her, but you know, she gradually grew on me. And, and uh, uh, I think Ms. Barrett Roddenberry did a fantastic job with her. Um, what ruins it for me is the scene on the holodeck where she doesn't realize that she is hitting on a hologram. Yeah. The mm. woman is telepathic. A hologram is not going to have anything she can read. She should not have been that stupid, no matter how uh, aroused she was. And so that ruined it for me. I got to agree with that 100%. That's a very good point. Yep. Okay. The Emissary. Worf's former lover comes aboard the Enterprise to help deal with a ship full of Klingon sleeper agents unaware that they are no longer at war. Bill. Wow, I get to go first on all the Klingon episodes. This is, <laughs> and this, this that's is by just, chance. Yeah, this one just, just it really, <laughs> the, the order yeah. it fell in. <laughs> um, so Susie Plaxen is back, and you know I love Kalar, and I, I love this episode, even though it's you know got heavy metal Klingons in it. The um the bit with Worf in the command chair with the Klingon captain on the other end who seems to be sitting in a black room with fog around him is a little weird. <laughs> but um overall this episode is is definitely a see it for multitude of reasons, whether it's Kalar or Worf's first time in the chair or just the conflict in general. Uh this is one I, I never tire of. Uh I hundred percent agree, Bill. I gave it a seat also. It is this is one of the best of the season also. It's probably in the top three. Uh as you mentioned, uh Kalar, Susie Plaxen is Kalar. It just just hits such a home run with this character. Uh, she does a phenomenal job. I wish we got to see more of her than we actually do in, in coming seasons. Um and it again, this is another um foundation for later episodes in the series. And it's a a very enjoyable and uh, highly recommended episode. Definite see it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, any chance to get the Katinga class back on the screen is a, is mm. a, a good excuse in my book. Um, but yes. yeah, everything about this episode is awesome. Susie is amazing. Um, uh, there, there's just you know, even though it's a it's a it's a wharf heavy episode, which generally is a turn off for me. This is just fantastic, and definitely see it. Okay, 21, peak performance. The Enterprise and the USS Hathaway face off in the simulated combat maneuvers. Data fails to beat a humanoid at a game of Stratagema and exhibits self-doubt. Mr. Davidson. Yes, I definitely uh, enjoy this episode. It's a see-it for me. Uh, it's a fun war games uh, type episode. I like the character of Kal Rami, and I like the game of Stratagema and, and how they all, you know, they're all flickering their fingers back and forth all the time. And uh, it's a good episode. I like the look of the Hathaway too. I thought that was kind of cool. The whole idea of the uh, uh, of the light lasers versus um, regular phasers was kind of interesting to see because you don't actually hear the word laser too often in Star Trek. So I thought that was kind of cool. So definitely you see it. 
I have to agree. Uh, this episode is it's just it's fun. Mm. You know, uh, even forget about the whole Wesley track in the middle of it. Um, you know, where he beams back over to steal the tiniest bit of antimatter to give them an edge, and then beams it on over. Um, it's fun. It's it's good despite the Ferengis. It's just there's a lot of good stuff here, and uh, it's just a it's a great way to, to sort of come close to the end of season two. So it's a, it's strong, and uh, I say it's a see it. I, I agree. I like this episode a lot. It, it Like you said, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I have to give the actors credit for keeping straight faces while pretending to play that game. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, Wesley cheated. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, it, it's still a fun episode. Definitely a see it. And if only this could have been the last episode of the season. But <laughs> <laughs> Right? <laughs> episode 22, Shades of Grey. Commander Riker, is, <laughs> Commander Riker is poisoned into a coma in which he relieves. No, oh, jeez. Commander Riker is poisoned into a coma in which he relives various moments of his service aboard the Enterprise. Bill, take it away. Do I have to? <laughs> <laughs> do, do I really have to? Um, you know, there's this episode has has got some issues. So. Um, First off is, it's bad, but it's not as bad as everybody says it is. It's by no means the worst episode of season two. It's the one that kind of gets the bad rap, kind of like Spock's brain does for the original series. Mm -hmm. But there are far worse episodes in season two and in Star Trek overall that have actual plots. So, but it's a clip show and I'm not a huge fan of those. And so for me, it's it's just got to be a skip it. Yeah, I got to agree with that, Bill. I gave it a skip it also. Regardless of whether the story of how Will got poisoned and, and when he gets to sickbay, whether that's good or bad, you said it. This is a clip episode. There's no way I can give a clip episode a see it rating. If you want to see these clips and whether or not they're see it or skip it episodes, just go watch the whole episodes that all these clips come from. So I definitely gave it a skip it. Yeah, I, I remember when I rewatched this, I was impressed at how much story there was to it. But even that being said, it's just, you know, I, I kind of appreciate that in order to cure Riker, they have to ramp up the, 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 the fear. So they have to keep replaying all the horrible things, which, you know, I also like seeing Riker suffer, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, if, if there had been even like something like a, a, you know, going away with for Pulaski at the end of the episode or something to redeem it, but there is absolutely nothing in this episode that we hadn't seen before or need to see. And so the epi- the season dies with a whimper. Skip it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it really does. Just out of curiosity, um, uh, uh, kind of off the cuff here, is there an episode in Star Trek overall that that you guys would rank as the worst other than Shades of Grey? How about you, Rick? Oh, the worst of all... Yeah. Um. Uh. Well, I think I I, I think I'm gonna have to go with uh, the way to Eden. Hmm. Nice. nice. Okay. okay. I'll accept that. I'll allow it. Uh, Dan, <laughs> what about you? That's a bad one. That's a bad one. Way to Eden's bad. I gotta say, we we talked about it a little bit. The whole idea of code of honor is just disgusting i think it's a, it's a terrible whoever thought of that i hope they didn't have a job very long um that being said you know that's really bad but you know miri eh, yeah. <laughs> way to eden you know 
what's the one where they freaking turn into lizards on Voyager? I mean, they're all those. There's some bad ones out there. <laughs> Threshold. Yeah. <laughs> For me, um, all of those are bad, but I have to say, uh, Aquiel. Does it for me in TNG. <laughs> the dog. The, it was the dog. Um, just c- incredibly weak. So, well, gents, we made it through all of uh, of season two. Um, let's talk uh, totals and percentages. Dan, you want to uh, hit first? Yeah, we uh, we started off by saying we weren't sure if it was going to live up as a positive season. And I got to say, by my math, which I saw you corrected, Bill, because I originally did my math wrong. So thank you. I know. Um, <laughs> it came in at less than 50%. I gave it 10 seats out of the 22 for a dismal 45.45% see it rating. That's not very good. It's not, and in fact, I also had 10 out of 22 for 45.45, which I think is kind of interesting. It's, it's weird how you and I, we, we have similar end numbers, but the mm-hmm. episodes we like and dislike are usually different, which right. I find fascinating. What did uh, Mr. Optimism over here have? <laughs> well, actually, okay, you guys were both skip 12, C10. I was yes. C12, skip 10. I must have counted one wrong then, because I had 13. Yeah. Uh, thir- one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Oh, you're right, 13. Okay, I'm, <laughs> I have terrible handwriting. Even I can't uh, Lucky 13, <laughs> man. Well, for you, that works out to a percentage of 59.09%, my friend. Wow. That's uh, th- that's way better than us by comparison. I, I, I have mellowed in my uh, in my old age. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we all? Because I can imagine that there was a day where I wouldn't have wanted to watch any season two. <laughs> Rick, thank you so much for your help tonight, man. Well, it was thank great you for to having have me on. on. It was a blast. It's uh, our pleasure. Um, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and stalk you online? Sure. Uh, you can. Hold on. Let me get my pen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's uh, simplysyndicated.com, and uh, you go there, and you can see all of the shows that we do over there. We've got shows that span almost the entire human condition, Um, and I'm on most of them. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, And, uh, of course, you are a a longtime member of our Camp Kittimer Facebook group, and we're so glad to have you out there. Thank you. It's uh, a lot of fun. I, uh, it's been a while since I've tried to stump you with screen caps from the original series, but that'll probably kick off again pretty soon, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you are truly well, a cruel uh, person with those. Uh, I, I do what I can. You know, I really do what I can. Rick, we're going to have you hold on while we wrap things up. Sure and um, Dan, we, uh, we would be incredibly remiss if we didn't thank... The band Five Year Mission for all they contribute to this here podcast. Every piece of music you hear is an original Five Year Mission composition based on all the the episodes of the original series. Did you know that, Dan? That's a lot of episodes and a lot of great songs from Five Year Mission because they're all awesome. It really is. So and we by want the way, to, I yeah. did know that. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you for interrupting the host. Um, we want everyone to head out to fiveyearmission.net. Please get all their albums, support the band, and let them know how much you love them. Because um, we know Dan loves them, too, as he 
you know, told us just mere moments ago. Isn't that right, Dan? That is right. And you know what's great about Five Year Mission and how much we do love them? It's great to see when something successful happens to one of them or any of them. Like what just oh, happened boy. the other day when I was watching my latest episode of my kind of off-kilter mirror universe episodes. Our, oh, you know, boy. Bill, our illustrious drummer, he's finally made it. He's, he's made the big time. All those hard years of practice and performances has paid off. He's getting called up to the big boy drums. Yeah, yeah, he is. But, you know, before that happens, he has to get through some very, very difficult moments with his estranged father. And on top of that, Worf has a date with a big old pain stick. It's seasons two, the Icarus Fark tour. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, Rick laughs, and you give me my regular, oh, my God. Thanks, Rick. You can come on anytime, buddy. <laughs> uh, Rick, please just don't encourage him. It's full medicine. That's got to eat your drugs. That's what it is. Um, yeah, dude. I. Oh man. Hashtag Bone Pulaski. It's all. I <laughs> um, so yeah. Bull please sir. head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Download all their albums. Become a huge fan, just as we are. Dan. Also, our iTunes subscribe and review campaign rolls on. We want everyone to head on out to iTunes or sorry, trekgeeks.com slash iTunes and they could score themselves something cool. Yeah, $25 is always a good thing, no matter what kind of monetary uh, level you're looking at, whatever they're called in your country that you're listening to this great show on. We enjoy you being here. Uh, $25 for one of those reviews. We're going to draw a name at the end of the quarter and uh, we hope it's you and uh, spend the money wisely, my friend. We really do. So far, we've given away three $25 Amazon gift cards, and we hope to give one to you simply just for writing a review for this here podcast in your iTunes, whatever country it is. So like we said, trekgeeks.com slash iTunes, get all the details. Dan, next week, we're going to be talking about another fantastic two-part episode. Yeah, we, uh, they're fun to talk about, aren't they? Uh, they are. They are. They're great. Next week, we're going to be deep diving into one of the most important episodes of The Next Generation from an electrical and illumination standpoint, Bill. And uh, by that, I mean there are four lights. It is the classic season six two-part thriller, Chain of Command, Gull Madrid, Captain Jellico, Live Tespa Breakfast, POW Picard, and a whole lot more next week on an all-new Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> wow, it's like I'm there. That's yeah, amazing. It's great. <laughs> Looking forward to it, buddy. Of course, after you check out the litany of shows that Rick is on in the Simply Syndicated Podcast Network, for more great Star Trek discussion, check out our friends at the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. And of course, Dan, for all the latest news on everything Star Trek, please visit our good friends at treknews.net online at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 93 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. C to the O, to the C to the O, to the N, to the U to the D. Coconut. (laughs) Is that it? That's it. All right.
bing bong. Jesus, you really are a packlet, aren't you? <laughs> I am smart. I make things go. No, 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 no. You can you can dial that one back because that's wrong. I are smart. Yeah, no, bring it back some more. Smart. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's up, man? Not too much, buddy. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Ready to go. Hey, you know what's amazing? Oh uh, no! I, but I imagine you were about to tell me, and Levar, I'm going to be bored. Bavar Burton turned sixty this weekend. What? Yeah. I'm sorry. I just he doesn't look right with eyes. <laughs> wow! Really? He just doesn't to me. Whenever I see a picture of him, he's like, "Wow, he's got big eyes. He's got like Disney eyes." Because we're so used to seeing him with the hair comb thing on his on his face. Well, see, I remember seeing him first in Roots as a, as a young child because my mom made me watch Roots. Yeah. And so when he went to TNG, I'm like, I, I didn't believe it was him at first because you couldn't see his eyes. Because <laughs> they're such a defining characteristic for LeVar. They are, yeah. And then when you see him uh, like in, oh, what was it? Um, our favorite our favorite uh, movie, uh, Insurrection. When they he starts seeing that morning when he's looking, when he's watching the he's yeah. watching the sunrise and they're like bugging. They're like, blah, 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 blah. it's the sunrise, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Oh wow! But he's he's seen things before with his own eyes. Like when Q gave him vision, he could see Tasha, and I right. was like, "Well, well, he kind of whiffed on that one." <laughs> That's it. Continuity? Who cares? Come on, That's some silly thing called continuity. Who cares about canon? Come on, <laughs> continuity. Oh. So wait, did you just? adapt the phrase continuity to Boz Skaggs poorly? I did. Very poorly. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. You know what I have to say to that? Oh, God. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Dan. Sorry. The answer we were looking for was Ipswich clams. Hey, <laughs> okay. All right there, guy. That was, uh, that was my very poor... Uh, Impersonation of my Canadian heritage, of which <laughs> I do have quite a bit. You're darn tootin'. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> you sure you betcha. Um, actually, that's drifting into Minnesota now. Yeah, it is. So. What a great movie Fargo is, huh? I know, right? <laughs> anyway. So you were telling me uh, yesterday online that you had some kind of announcement? I do. I've, I've, uh, I've decided to do something. And I think you're going to like it. I know, I know that our listeners will because they... Is it, to, is it quitting the podcast? Wow. That hurts. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> There's been a lot of talk lately on Camp Kittimer and and other places in about the Peter Griffin Voyager theme song. Yes, yes. And now oh, it's that an I'm, earworm. It is. And it's a great it's like the SETI eel. He just wanted to just start coming out with a lot of blood. Uh but uh um of course now with H and I, Voyager's on every night at ten o'clock and it's on and I'm sitting there singing it. I won't lie. <laughs> so I've decided I am going to do the full Voyager opening sequence as Peter Griffin with the lyrics. No way. I will. The when? There's only one problem. What's that? I don't remember what episode I did that in because I need to rewrite the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> Or not rewrite them, but write down what I already have, and then I'm going to fill in the rest of the theme song with new lyrics and record it with the music for the podcast. Well, How do you it, like that? I think that's fantastic. Um, it is in the outtakes episode. Oh, okay. I'll dig that up then. Um, I just don't remember which part. I think it's part one. All right. 
Yeah, I figured, you know what? Everybody's been talking about it, saying it's great, and then it drives them crazy, and then singing it with the wife watching. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have to do it. Get the whole, get a whole like little song going with all of it. Get all the characters written down in there. Wow. So this is a, a Camp Kittimer exclusive. Sure. Why not? And then after we drop it there, we'll drop it on the podcast. How does that sound? I like that. I think that'll be a great idea. I think it'll be fun, and I'm looking forward to doing it. Dude, this is this like makes my night. Yeah, I think it'll be have cool. You- so I'll, I'll download the MP3, and I'll have all the the music, actual mu- music playing, and I'll uh, I'll do it up. Now, have you already written the lyrics? No, <laughs> I've been trying to think of things. Uh, as I think of the theme song, and I'll have something for Kess, and she's a ball of light or something like some some crazy stuff. But no, no idea yet. But I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Kim will die three or four times in the song, I'm sure. Yeah. You, know, you know, the song's only like a minute and a half long, right? <laughs> yes. Yep. The, okay. Some of those notes are going to be tough because they're high. Well, but you're saying this Peter Griffin. It's not like, you know, you're... Um... I don't know, one of the three tenors. Well, I know that, but I still don't have the, you know, the range. The range. I can't go, you know that part? No. (laughs) Wow. Speaking of ears bleeding. (laughs) Exactly. That's from the family guy. You could do it as a duet with Guy Fieri. Oh, my God. And record it in two different chunks. Oh, my God. I think that would be fantastic. And Fieri could do some of the high stuff, because when you're speaking, you can do the high stuff. (laughs) That's true. Yep. That's true. It's funny. Uh... When I was on Brandon's podcast the other night, um, at the, as we were wrapping up, he wanted me to do an impersonation of that guy, and he couldn't think of that guy's name. <laughs> and finally, he's like, that chef guy. And I'm like, okay. So I tried to do something off the cuff, and it didn't really sound good. Then he asked me to do Guy Fieri as Peter Griffin or Peter Griffin as Guy Fieri. It was it was not good. It was not good. I can say I- that. I can't wait to hear. I can only hope this makes the episode. I can't wait to hear this, Brandon. If you hear this part of the outtake, I want those clippings. If they don't, if it doesn't make the cut, <laughs> nice. I will. I will make magic out of it. <laughs> You're magic yourself. I'm. I am magical. Just look at me. Your face is magic. Whoa! Hey, hey. took a turn. I'm uncomfortable. I need an adult. Well, you're not gonna find one here. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Boom! Boom! boom. All right, you uh, you ready to do this? Let's do it. Cedar skip it. Whoa, hey, dial that back there, Bruce Banner. <laughs> you know, Bill, don't make me angry. <laughs> you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. I don't like you now. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to finish that line. <laughs> All night you've been waiting for that. Totally. Right into it. All right, here we go. <laughs> 